Uh, we're going to dig into God's Word today in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13 and following. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me there as, uh, as we hear together from the Lord. We're also going to have the words on the screen and online so that you can uh, tap into them there as well. Again, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. Hear now the Word of the Lord. Therefore... My mind, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially. Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it, is, it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing. So we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Almighty God, I ask that you would meet with us now in this space and time, that you would be glorified in all that takes place here. Lord, open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, our minds that would come to know and understand your word, our hearts that we would feel its power then by your grace. Open us up, open our hands up that we would offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. Did, did you hear what we just read? There's, there's one verse that, that, that is stunning, uh, that, that, that if we, we actually heard it, we would be so confronted by it that we would just jaw-dropped say, wow. Verse 15, it, it says, but he, just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Did you hear that? Just as God is holy, just as Jesus Christ, the Lord of all creation, the perfect unblemished sacrifice, just as Jesus is holy, so you are to be holy. Wow. I mean, that, that's shocking, stirring, challenging, transforming. How, how do we 
walk through that statement and, and live it out with conviction? How do we hear it and believe it? How do we digest it and follow through on that teaching? Just as Jesus is holy, so you are to be holy. And, and just in case we, we think we can mince words that we can alter them to our own whim, it, it says, be holy in all you do. Be holy in all you do. And so we are to take that on as a way of life, as a way of being as Christians, as sisters and brothers under Jesus Christ, and to walk that out. Be holy just as Jesus is holy. But for many of us, we've, we've thought about or considered how we would pursue holiness and we've found ourselves uh, uh, challenged by it. And, 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 and in some ways, uh, we feel as though we have failed at it. And so maybe you or I at times or, or, or most of the time end up not even continuing the pursuit For some of us, it looks like this. We think that the bar is set so high, we don't even jump. I was watching a junior high track meet where pole vaulters lined up, and they set the opening bar at a point that not one pole vaulter had ever jumped that high before. And all the pole vaulters were like, you know, my, my personal best is, is not even that high. What am I even to do? And so you could look at how deflated all of them were. And they thought, I, I can't achieve that. So what, why am I even here? The next week, half of those kids weren't even pole vaulting anymore. They had given up. They, they thought that the bar was set so high that they decided they weren't even going to jump. I remember in 1999, the summer after my freshman year of college, I met a girl named Amanda. And I thought she was everything that I was not. She was cool and beautiful and popular. And I just thought she was so much more than me. And, and there was a song that came out that same summer, some random like one pop song, you know, they, they didn't hit any others on the chart, but they hit this one. Uh, it's, it's called She's So High. And, and the, the chorus goes, she's so high above me. She's so lovely. And, and, and over and over again, it's just making this, this, this example of, of, of the guy's feelings as though she's more than I could achieve. I'm not worthy. I'm not able. And so I, I was driving one day to see Amanda uh, because she had given me the time of day and I heard that song and I convinced myself through listening to that song that I wasn't even worthy to be hanging out with this girl and that was the last time I ever saw Amanda. I thought the bar was set so high that I couldn't even jump. Some of us feel that way about holiness. We hear the scripture say, be holy. The word of God calling you to be holy. 
And then we say, but, but you said, be holy as Jesus is holy. I can't, I can't jump as high as Jesus. I'm not perfect like Jesus. I, I, I'm so caught up in my failure. I understand and maybe was even converted through an understanding of Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I know that for myself. And I, and I feel the weight and the burden of my sinful nature. And so if I am inherently sinful, I cannot be holy. So I won't even pursue it. Some of us give up before we even begin. We hear be holy, and we think it's out of reach, so we don't start. Others of us, we hear of this holiness, and, 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 and we enter into a pursuit, and have entered into a pursuit, and seen it as an opportunity for striving. And, and that striving for some can flip into a legalism of sorts, uh, just give me the rules. Just give me uh, the, 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 all the information I need to know so that I could be obedient to the task, to the letter of the law, to the detail, to the dots and the tittles. And, and, and whenever you put all of those things together, uh, I'm going to find my way to work it out. I want to be legalistic. Maybe this is interesting or compelling for some of you who, like me, struggle with some OCD tendencies, some obsessive-compulsive disorder tendencies. Uh, you know, you, you want to label all of the drawers in your house and the shelves in your kitchen so that everything goes in the right place. Some of you can't stand someone else in your home loading the dishwasher because they're going to load it incorrectly. And so whenever you are, are, are welcoming someone else into the dishwasher duty, you let them know where every type of, uh, of silverware and bowl and plate goes in the dishwasher because it needs to be done a certain way. Is that just me. I see blank stares. And so we have this bent towards legalism that constrains us and boxes us in. And so whenever we hear this word from Peter telling us, the people of God, to be holy, uh, we, we, we consider, well, if you would just tell me exactly what I need to do, give me not just the Ten Commandments, but the 200 Commandments. I need the 2,000 Commandments, because if you give me enough, I can order my steps in such a way as to pursue that well. But that striving is maddening because it always results ultimately in the reality of Romans 3.23 coming true that we do sin and fall short. And so the legalism can become deflating as well. So how are we, sisters and brothers, to pursue Holiness, to hear the call from God to be holy as I am holy and to actually walk that forward faithfully, to not give up before we begin and to not enter into a legalism that we'll lose, but to move forward faithfully. And I think Peter articulates for us uh, what this holiness is about and how we can walk out that pursuit faithfully. Holiness. Holiness is centered on hope. It's actually an issue of hope that, that, that begins this passage and uh, orients verse 15. It, 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 
comes to us in verse 13 there. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace of Jesus. And so if holiness and and hope need to, to be aligned, we can begin working that out together and understand how we can operate in that paradigm. Hope is an interesting thing, though. For, for, for some, we think, uh, someone, we, we think hope is just a sign of blind optimism. I was hanging out with one of the kids' uh, friends uh, over dinner. Uh, we were heading to dinner. We invited some of their friends. They came, and, and, uh, and we were talking through uh, this kind of restart to baseball and to basketball. And, uh, and whenever we were talking about the Astros, the game was happening on Friday night. The first game, uh, Verlander was the Verlandi man, as he always is. And we just uh, learned to uh, come to learn and expect a victory when he's on the mound. We're going 60-0 and 0 this season, by the way. Um, so so I, I uh, told my kid's friend, I said, we're winning the chip. Uh, I was at the parade in 17. I'm going to be at the parade uh, this year, and it's going to be awesome. Uh, Let me tell you, my kids aren't going to school that day because there is no school that day because it is a time to celebrate. And, uh, and everybody at the table, that, uh, the family, they're all like, oh, there's dad going again, <laughs> talking about all of the championships we're going to win. Uh, every year we're winning a championship, right? And then, then the conversation moved on and the, the Rockets were on the TV in the backdrop because it was the, the first scrimmage. And so whenever, whenever we started talking about the Rockets, I told him, hey, go ahead and ride it up. We're winning the chip, baby. <laughs> I, I, I want a parade in basketball too. We're going to go downtown on that parade. boy. It's, and so I'm telling, the, telling this friend that. And then uh, Lauren shakes her head, laughs, chuckles. There goes Jason again, and, and actually articulates it this time. Hey, you need to know that if you hang around Jason, you're always going to win the championship. Like, like uh, ask him how many times the Cowboys were going to win the championship over the, last, uh, over the last 20 years. Every year, baby, we're always going to win, right? And so oftentimes we perceive that hope is tied to a, a foolish optimism or a projection of some possible future that you're, just, uh, that, that, that you're just blindly and willfully uh, desiring. But hope and desire are drastically different. Hope and desire are drastically different. You see, this, this work for hope for Peter is, is something that uh, that, that takes intentionality and, and, it, and it rests in the realm of the mind. It, it says, with minds that are alert, set your hope on. So, so sober minds, alert minds, we're to, to set our minds there. But, but uh, for once, I want us to take a look, not just at what the NIV says or what the NRSV says, but when you go back to the Greek, we actually would be best to pursue what the King James Version says here because the NIV and the NRSV totally neglect some of the Greek words that are there. Uh, th- th- there's, uh, there's a Romans Bible study that I taught over the courses last year, and we had, we had one, one participant in this Romans study that read out of the King James. And every time we were like perplexed trying to figure out what the differences were between the King James and the NIV, this is a time whenever we should actually use the King James. Here's what it says. That verse 13, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober 
and hope to the end for the grace that it is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Gird up the loins of your mind. Who has ever thought to put that phrase together? Peter, and, and he did it in Greek, and that's the best way that we could translate that verse. Gird up the loins of your minds. So if we take the minds off of that and we just say, gird up your loins, it's not something that we say every day. Now, when was the last time you said gird up your loins when you weren't reading? Never. So, uh, but, but we've watched enough medieval movies to hear gird up your loins, and it basically means woman up or man up. Right? It's, it's get ready, battle's coming, you need to be in it. And, and so uh, Peter, using this terminology, is inviting us to imagine the realm of our minds is a battlefield. And there is a war being waged in our minds. And we are to, to enter into that space prepared for battle. Not walking into it foolishly, not being caught off guard or, or, or surprised, but ready for battle. Here's what gird up your loins meant. Have you ever tried to imagine what people in Jesus' day did whenever they got ready to fight? Like, like think about your picturesque Jesus like teaching moment. What is he wearing? Like a long flowing robe, right? And, 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 and sandals, maybe. In your picture, he might be barefoot Jesus in your mind. But uh, so, so he's wearing this long flowing robe. And you wonder if you ever think about like the contrast between battle world and, and, and Jesus and his disciples robe world. How do you fight in a robe? So if you would take this term, gird up your loins, and you would put it in uh, first century uh, Greco-Roman world or, or, or even the realm of Israel, here's what they would do. They, if you heard gird up your loins, they would take their robe and, and they would gather it all up. Just gather the dress. Think about a wedding dress that, the, that needs to be like pinned in the back when they're ready to dance at the reception, right? So, so you're, you're gathering up the robe and then you gather it in the front and you flip it to the back and you catch it and then you take it around and you tie it off. Then you could fight, right? <laughs> That's that Jason fight in action. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be able to move if you're going to go to battle. You have to be prepared for battle. You cannot be caught off guard. And so when Peter says, gird up the loins of your minds, he's saying, be prepared for the mental battle that it takes to continue in hope. Because you will grow weary in your mind if you are not prepared for that battle, you will be defeated, in fact, if you are not prepared for that battle. We've gone through a season, brothers and sisters, where our minds have been under the attack of hopelessness every day. There is something else coming at you telling you, be hopeless Gird up the loins of your minds and be resolved to maintain that hope. Because if we are to maintain that hope, then we can pursue holiness. I'll say more about that in a second. Here's Pastor Dario turned me on to, to a book from Viktor Frankl who talks about his time 
in concentration camps in Nazi Germany. He spent three years in concentration camps in Auschwitz and Dachau, and he survived the concentration camps and uh, wrote about his experiences afterwards. He was an Austrian psychologist. And so he had a unique perspective on what was going on as he was in the concentration camps. And, 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 and it might be a little, a little terse of me to break it down and paraphrase it like this, but, but he basically broke down the people in the concentration camps into four different categories based on hope. He said, first, there are people that hoped in the past. Whenever they entered into the concentration camp, uh, they, they, they couldn't deal with the, the contrast between the lives that they had and the lives that they, uh, that they entered into in the concentration camp. And all their hope was wound up in what they had accumulated and, and gotten used to in their former lives. And so they lost hope quickly because their hope was in the past and the past was no longer. And since it was no longer, they had nothing. And those were the first people to die. Without hope, they shut down physically, relationally, emotionally, and they were the first to die. The, the second category of folks were, were, were people that, that laid their hope in, uh, in, in this being uh, temporary or being able to be defined in a constrained manner. So here's what happened. There, there was a, a guy in the concentration camp in Auschwitz that had a dream that by, uh, by Christmas 1944, the, uh, he was going to be dining with his family no longer in this concentration camp. And so he began to tell everybody else in the concentration camp, by Christmas 1990, uh, 1944, we're going to be free. Uh, we, we, could, we could all rest in that. I had a dream of this. This is what it's going to be. And so everybody pointed towards 1994, 1944 uh, Christmas, and everybody believed that. And, and he had this deep conviction that this was temporary. And so he laid his hope in how quickly he was going to find relief from his pain. And so as October came and November came and Thanksgiving passed, and the month turned to December, more and more people in that concentration camp fell into despair, and more people died in the concentration camp from Christmas 1944 to New Year's 1945 than in any other period in the concentration camp. You see, all of these people laid up their hope in being able to define how long their suffering would continue. And once that temporary position expired, they were hopeless. The third kind I would call the Shawshank Redemption kind. You might know where I'm going there now. So uh, Victor Frankl describes those that uh, survived the concentration camp and their hope was laid, up in, uh, was laid up in what life would be like on the outside. 
And so they were survivors, but as soon as they got out, they couldn't deal with how different the world had become and how they had experienced such tremendous loss from those loved ones that were no longer here or their communities that were now devastated and those that that could not deal in that hope committed suicide in drastic numbers. They had a hope in returning to a past moving forward into a future. And then Viktor Frankl describes the fourth category and says, those that survived the concentration camps and those that survived the return into society laid up, laid up their hope in that which was eternal. They didn't hope in the past. They didn't hope in something temporary. They laid up their hope in the eternal. You see, this was a living hope. This is a living hope. And that living hope we can, we can claim and we can adopt as the way in which we frame our lives and our, and our actions. You see, it says, gird up the loins of your minds, fully sober, set your hope on the grace we have in Jesus. So if we place our hope in Jesus and we pursue him with our minds day after day, we're going to look different, we're going to walk different, but we are going to have something that can sustain Sustain us in anything that can give us rest in every wearying time. Verse 17 describes it like this. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, then it says this. Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. If you walk through life with an eternal hope, you will be foreign. The way in which you operate will seem different to everyone around you. They they will look upon you and wonder, how are you sustaining yourself or how are you being sustained in this season? Especially now, if you walk around this world hopeful, (laughs) it's going to be a stark contrast to all that you see around you. If you walk around as other people are saying how hopeless things are and you say how hopeful things are because of the grace we have in Jesus, they're going to know that you are a foreigner. What you are doing and how you are operating the world is entirely different. So whenever you hear, brothers and sisters, this commission, this invitation, be holy as Jesus is holy, I want you to to do this. I want you to hear that Romans passage To offer yourselves as a living sacrifice by the renewing of your minds. You see that? The renewing of your minds, the gird up the loins of your minds, to set your minds on hope. So that in all that you do, holiness is possible today, tomorrow, and forever. Not by your own doing, but by the grace we have in Jesus and living in that hope day after day. That is the bold invitation that Peter gives to the church scattered, and that is the bold invitation that we receive today as well. Be hopeful so that you will be holy just as he is holy. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious God, we come before you thankful for your son Jesus the grace we have in him and, and the 
perfect sacrifice that he is for us. I ask, oh God, now in this space and time that you would give us the strength to pursue you with our whole hearts, to know that that, that, that holiness is, is not some, some, uh, some bar that you've set out of our reach, but you've set it there for us to pursue it, to pursue it with our whole hearts and with, our, with all of our minds, our minds set on the hope we have in you. So I ask now, gracious God, that you would renew us, that you would strengthen us, that you would gird us up and prepare us for a battle. So that as others would speak words of hopelessness into us, let us be resolved to, to maintain our hope in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.